This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome back to Shows with Friends, a podcast where we talk about our favorite TV shows with our friends. And I am here today to talk with you guys and my friend Steve. I like to think of this as one big family here, our awesome listeners. And we are back on Gentleman Jack, an accidental on the spot rhyme. We're here to talk about Gentleman Jack, episodes two and three. Take it away, Steve. Yes, thank you. So glad to be back here with you, Eli, my friend, and all our new friends out there in the world that are listening to Shows with Friends, and you are indeed all over the world, and it's so exciting. So please follow us on our socials, chime in. We want to know how you've what you think of the shows that we're watching. Yes. And we want to watch them together with you for sure. So let's get back. This is my show that I chose, Gentleman Jack. We are going to cover episodes two and three. And what I marvel about this show, especially now that I'm doing my second watch of this, Eli, of course, is on his first watch. The language and script I think is what really separates this show just from anything else that we've seen. So we talked about in our previous episode how these scripts were actually deciphered from Ann Lister's original journals. She had her own shorthand, Mm. and the writer-creator had to work with historians to translate that and then created the scripts directly from that. So what sort of happens is there are these scenes where you get these bits of dialogue that are actually what she said in her own personal moments in the journals, and they're adapted into these situations where she's saying them to somebody else. Right. And they're really, they really stick out to me. They're really remarkable. And I started actually tracking the ones that kind of came out to me in the second episode she was talking about the brain. She's talking about her love of anatomy and, mm-hmm. and talking about the brain. And she said, aren't we lucky to be alive, to have life? Isn't every moment an inexplicable delight packed with potential? Um, and I just found that so fascinating that these little uh, pockets of moments of Ann Lister's real thoughts, real words, are used to tell this story of this time. So you combine that with the cinematography, the set design, the costumes, the acting, which is incredible. And uh, you really have something special here, I feel, with Gentleman Jack that just kind of separates. And so poetic, too. And you think about there was no HBO or BBC or Netflix or (laughs) movie theaters even at this time, you know, it was literally books and they could go see plays. And um, I thought obviously Shakespeare must, she must've been very well read and, and seen quite a bit of, of that. So you get this real poetry and color in the language that is just so rich and incredible. And so because obviously I could keep going for a while, but we need to turn this over to Eli to get his impressions of episode two and three. How do you think the series did after the pilot and where it went? It was a fun ride, and I'm glad that I watched them with some space in between. And I think it's interesting. That's something now on our fourth show, right? Or is this our third show? Mm-hmm. Fourth show. Yeah, we've each had two. So something interesting to think about is how how that plays out. Um, but moreover, with a show like this, because each episode is a full hour and really rich, 
from the language and act, you know, all those things you just mentioned to the emotion captured and especially watching this now uh, and what we're going through and our current age and thinking how long ago a story takes place. You can forget at moments. But it's so long ago and things were so different. And yet today we struggle with so many of the same things, right? Mm. So it was really cool to watch them, yeah, not back to back <laughs> and try to do like two hours straight and absorb each one. And in episode two, I found, uh, you know, we obviously get a much clearer focus on now where they are, right? And where uh, Anna's from and what's going on in this township or set of townships, uh, this little region that she's from. And I think we also get a much deeper look into her character uh, and Lister's interesting and uh, at times maybe even devious desires and adventures. Um, but yeah, we get a much more real sense of this place now uh, that Anna's at least for a time staying for this quest, right? Yeah, she will not be denied living her truth, finding love, which seems to be, you know, the ultimate, one of her primary goals of something she wants to achieve is this companionship and yeah. the right, her human right to have companionship, right? I love that you brought up this notion of emotion as a device and what we're seeing, you know, because it happens in so many various ways with different, different types of emotions, whether it's from, you know, love, jealousy, envy, rage, like it's, it's all, it all exists in this series um, on full display. So that's, yeah. It's a great point. And that's really, I mean, we won't jump ahead because we want to take things slowly with a show like this, but that's even just the start. You could go much deeper with emotions evoked through two and three, right? So in two, we get, as I was saying, this much more uh, zoomed in kind of view, and we start to meet more of the characters, uh, more of the townspeople, more of the movers and shakers um, and starting to get a better sense of Anne's force and as it comes to negotiation, uh, of course, mm. negotiating about the coal pits. <laughs> uh, those scenes are so great with her and Jeremiah, right? The yeah. It, it's not clear. I guess he's the younger brother. It's not clear, but you know the the more uh, timid, the one that moves in the shadows, at least. Um, Jeremiah Rossin. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he has the vibe of a of a younger brother, but they seem to be very close and close in age, and uh, they they did a good job of establishing who the real baddie is of of the brothers, right? And then he is a bit of a pushover and he was sort of, I think he even says in the scene, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to, like, yeah. you can, you know, like you were the one that, and the brother, the bad brother is like, well, you're the one that stole the coal. He's like, I only did it because you, you told me to, you know, it's, it's yeah. like this, he's a bit of like a puppet guy. Absolutely, yeah. And it's clear who's calling the shots. Uh, above board and below, right? Because mm -hmm. um, he's also the magistrate and holds all these titles. And this obviously very uh, un <laughs> undemocratic <laughs> uh, little organization. But yeah, the, the other brother, Jeremiah, is forced to go negotiate <laughs> with Ann Lister. And 
it's of course, you know, you know it's going to happen. It's foreshadowed. His brother's like, don't get pushed. You know, he's like yelling at him before it even happens. And uh, But those scenes are amazing. And I love the way that it's not only Anne's obvious, like intelligence and businessman, you know, that she's very to the point, very knowledgeable, very, you know, all that stuff. And <laughs> the way she absolutely uses things that I think people write books about as far as negotiation. Like she, the way she moves, the way she positions herself, what she says when she rings the bell, she's like finishing mm. telling him what he's going to do in each of those scenes. And she rings the bell like you're out, you're done. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And uh, so you're really getting to see two sides of Anne in a way much deeper, right? This like fierce negotiator who's pushing against the patriarchy and uh, absurd, you know, customs of this like, well, we talked about it before last time, right? So the wealthy female landowner with no rights, no voting rights, no rights, essentially, if she's unmarried. Um, so this, she's fighting against it. And then... She's courting this love and idea of life companionship, right? And so yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, a double-edged sword in a way almost. Uh, that's an accurate metaphor. Yeah, and I almost <laughs> said like they created this great foil, but they didn't create it because all these people were actually alive and this happened. <laughs> but this guy who is a magistrate, right. you know, he's got this legal power is, and he's corrupt, you know, in this world. And then you, if... And Lister was a man, she would just have so many more resources and so much more ability to counter the that this force, you know? And it's it's incredible that this period of time existed, obviously, and but the way in which she builds the resources that she does have, right, and her she feel like she's just got this solid team of the lawyer and now the new sort of land manager, property state manager. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of, so she's sort of um, like you're saying, just shrewd negotiating, but also sort of like letting, because that she already knows that they're stealing her coal. Right. So she's essentially like laying like a trap to have them pay it back, you know, ultimately. Yep. And another thing that's cool about this episode and what you're talking talking about like and is going deeper and establishing more is um she gets into uh Shipton Hall uh, where she lives right. as um she talks about it being the oldest house in Halifax it was never a farm it was this you know and she's she's like I'm here so I'm going to bring it up to like this standard and there's this element that there's coal there's value here like I'm going to make that I'm going to maximize that opportunity because that's what we did, you know, that's, that's the, my job is to do that. And, um, but yeah, I agree. The, the, the negotiation and her handling of these guys and these moments and these situations are captivating. Yeah. And, uh, this actress is like in one moment in these episodes, these early episodes, you see her wooing, you know, the other Anne, you see her indifferent to her sister, and then you see her, like, standing up and running circles intellectually around the most powerful men in the county. So it's just, it's like, my God, is there anything this, yeah. this, this woman can't do? Yeah, and there's also a cool thing that, you know, maybe both a casting choice and uh, the way they shoot some of these scenes, but they shoot her as very physically imposing. And mm. the scene in the pilot when she's telling the tenant, the wayward tenant, who of course we'll get into later more, I don't know, are they in a pub or something? Yeah, a pub maybe, when she meets the tenant and his son, the first Yeah, one. and the first one when she's collecting the yep. rents. And he, you know, of course, bristles the whole time, but then when they get up, there's a moment where he's like, thinking about <laughs> attacking her or something, right? 
she stands up fully and she looks taller than him or at least his height right and the rossens i think are clearly the two brothers are not super tall or physically imposing they're just like powerful wealthy um and so I think it's probably, you know, both a casting choice and part of how they shoot her, but she's sitting behind the desk always, you know, and she just looks physically imposing in these scenes with a lot of these powerful or physically imposing men, right? And she doesn't give a fucking millimeter, <laughs> never mind an inch, right? In any moment. Yeah, we talked we, <laughs> Yeah, we talked about in the first episode how and she, this continues her strategy. She's up in their face. Yeah, she's not like timid or back. You know, she's talking to somebody. She's like right in their chin. Like, you know, this is what's up. Like, she like steps to everybody. It's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the captain is her father. Okay, That's I thought Jeremy so. Lester. Yeah, yeah. Because she does call it, him like pa or father or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right. But it's yeah, it's such a unique non father daughter relationship it's like he's it's just this resolve to like she's running it and he's not he's just the captain and yeah he's like the wise wise old man yeah yeah and he's i mean i don't know estimated ages there's a flashback at one point um i don't know if that's in two or three right to where Anne gets caught playing poker with all the soldiers by <laughs> Her dad, when he's yeah. much younger. So he was an actual, seemingly uh, very successful, honored soldier, um, decorated, but is very old now. And uh, I think just infirm, probably physically. Um, you can see like how slowly he moves sometimes in scenes. Yeah, but you make a great point. He seems to, even though hard of hearing, always get it, always gets it. And like really and even it. some of the decisions, it's not it's not framed like he can't manage things or is like totally awful. Like the the when you we talked about the tenant, the unruly tenant. Yeah. He was talking about this deal he had made with the captain where he was gonna like give him a break on rent so he could do repairs around the house. Right. Not like unreasonable, but she's just basically saying, like, okay, you made that deal with him, it's over. Like you gotta pay the full rent now. Yeah. Like, well, also, you didn't <laughs> repair the house. <laughs> and you didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So, uh, not only do I need the full rent, but I need you to do those repairs. <laughs> yeah. The no. The notion is like fair deal, you know. But he just doesn't have the energy or the the nature to run it the way. I guess it would be his brother sort of wanted it run, but there is. I think in the pilot, he taught when Cole is brought up, mm-hmm. he's like, nasty business. Yeah. You don't want to be part of that. But I thought, and whether it was two or three, there was a wonderful, um, oh, I think it is in three, when the sister has a prospect, a gentleman prospect, but he's, we get into this <laughs> landowner versus tradesman yeah. um, sort of dynamic. Further another class, class structure. Yeah. Yeah, and that came up too, like in Downton Abbey, where I think it was the newspaper publisher was like a courting Mary, and it was like a they looked down on these kind of self-made absolutely men that just come yeah that come up and make a bunch of money yeah. And he said, and and the captain was like, why shouldn't she marry? What's wrong with somebody in trade? The mo- the world is moving forward, right? So that there's some wisdom in him that exists beyond. Anybody else in the show? Do you remember? Which is really cool. Do you remember how he finishes that line too? No, not a fan. Yeah, he actually, it's really insightful. He says, even if something like, even if she doesn't want to admit it, it's a reference to right. Anne. It's, mm. it's fascinating because, yeah, it's almost a role reversal. You're like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, she. And she's probably just pushing back against her sister to push back because that's what they do. But she absolutely does like scoff at the idea of a tradesman, basically. And so yeah. he is, I believe, the dad is referencing Anne when he says that. He's like, yep, even if Anne doesn't see it, 
the world's moving forward. And it's like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Could she be like so forward thinking in our minds in so many ways, but then still like clinging to establishments, establishment and establishments <laughs> in many other ways. And that's, yeah, something to think about. And especially as we get into, you know, three, um, she is in some ways thinking of, yeah, this glory and um, the lineage of Shipton Hall um, and wanting to restore that. And yet that kind of, in a way, requires clinging to that sort of feudal system and putting people back into their places. And Yeah, it's an incredible contradiction, you know, which is life is full of um, completely. And the this notion of her sort of announcement at breakfast in episode two about, you know, returning shift and hall to its glory and wanting to put a path in put a little chateau on the property and just like do things. Um, there was an interesting moment that happened there in episode two. So in episode one, and Lister looks to the camera, you know, a couple of times in the middle of the, yeah. of the pilot and at the end. And then in episode two, the sister looks at the camera. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, okay. So I was like, what are we doing with this camera? This show is like really keeping you, on your toes in all kinds of ways, yeah. technically and you know, and story and all of that. But they could really like, I love that. I love that because they're like, everything seems really real, right? The language, the production, but you can't escape the fact that it's a TV show that they're making. Sure. So why not? Like, why pretend that it's not a TV show? And I love that. That like, it's almost like makes the whole thing like a dream, some weird, like, yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting? I realized, you know, we were talking about with the first one, uh, how she breaks the fourth wall. And, um, and I was saying it, like, didn't really strike me as that surprising. Um, but I realized that I've watched uh, some mockumentary and documentary, you know, recently. And especially in, like, the mockumentary genre, they're always breaking the fourth wall. Right. So it didn't even seem out of place, the like little moments in the pilot, but then it builds. And of course, in three, takes a step oh, on that, <laughs> which yeah, is really, really fun. Uh, but yeah, in two, we begin to see, yeah, how um, playful in a way they are within what they're doing, which is really ambitious and. I think overall, to pull off something like this, I mean, you're reverse engineering situations that happened in real life right. from a diary. So just the, the whole initial idea of trying to do this. And then, um, yeah, I think they're definitely getting the most out of an hour of TV, right? And we... We've talked about, even from the start of Shows with Friends, how casual fits so much into a half-hour comedy, right? Mm. And this, in that same way that it's just so full, it's, you know, 59 minutes or whatever, 58 minutes of just so much, and these little moments where they break the fourth wall, or there's some moments where... The places look so nice that they could be modern almost, right? You could be at least a hundred years after this is set. And not that it's like out of place per se, but it's just like, it's so beautiful in Halifax and these old houses and right. stuff. Like it's just gorgeous. And um, yeah, you can kind of squint at times and you could be today or a hundred years ago or obviously <laughs> 190 <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you make a good point. And, and the, the, what they pack in, you could say the same for Dairy Girls was kind of similar. And like the, yeah, the language, you know, just to take from her diary, but I would also assume that they pulled from letters and of the time and accounts and, and other things. And they did that, um, with that show Deadwood. 
Oh yeah. Like they, they, they took letters of the time to find the language and because people would write, you know, how they speak and they'd use words the way they speak the way they write. And uh, so that, yeah, so totally really cool. Yeah. Let's, let's wrap up episode two. Absolutely. And just talk about a couple things. There was just, I found the, I wanted to ask you about the wedding scene Found that to just be a really powerful performance the whole kind of like arc of it. Mm. And then when she actually had the scene with her ex lover mm. and the conversation sort of the conversation kind of like turned the tables there emotionally, which I found crafted like so well. Yeah. And if we wanted, we could probably list uh, eight emotions in that scene alone right. right it's just so much um I, what i found was amazing obviously the decision to go by Anne, um just you know putting it back in the context of these are actual things that likely happened right um so her decision to go and like show face because that's you know her seeing her crowd or people to some degree, right? And not wanting to run from it seems really brave. And the way that they show the range of emotions is amazing. And, you know, coming back to, I think what we were closing out the last episode with about just the acting uh, of this actress, her face... <laughs> Uh, as they shoot the actual wedding and, you know, the, the beginning of this sequence, her face and, yeah, that precipice of cracking and remaining proud and joyful and defiant and so many things. Um, but, yeah, just watching Anne's face and, you know, that actress, once again, amazing, amazing performance in these most revealing and emotional scenes, which so far in the first two have been around her love affair with uh, Ms. Hobart, who is now getting married. And so watching her face through that is just such a journey. And then you get to the receiving line, right? And you have no mm. idea what's going to happen. And then their conversation and where it goes is amazing emotional journey acting journey and yeah and it, yeah and how the um and separates herself from everybody in, around her in her world in one way because she lives her truth yeah right and then it was like this really heartbreaking moment when it the table sort of turned emotionally and the bride was like said to her like i'm not that way to her and it was like it just wasn't true you know what i mean the reality was that she couldn't be that way right you know but like she was like her heart was breaking like as she was saying that and it was so obvious to the viewer and then also to ann lister and then the performance it was like it gave her the ability of being like you're Oh, like poor you. Like all, you know, she, like she felt bad the entire time watching this person she loved get married to a man. And then when she realized that this woman was just then going to live a lie for the rest of her life starting right now, yeah. it was like she almost kind of pitied her in the moment and then had the ability to move on. And she, and there was this incredible quote that I pulled to kind of wrap up episode two, where she says, Our time on this earth is brief. And we should all strive to make the most of it and be as happy as we can be. And that's like even more true in this time, right? Where the life expectancy is shorter. And that moment where she is just like, she bounces, she sort of says that. Yeah. And she's going to the Lake District. She's going after true love. She's going, she's just, I'm going to be me. She doesn't even, I'm not looking back. She doesn't change so or stop. From the like yeah. scene in the receiving line, she's just back mm -hmm. at Shipton and we're going and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that launches us on into episode three. Yeah. Rolling right into episode three and they rolls right in there. Right. I mean, she's like, 
she says a few times in the previous episodes, I'm, I'm going to endeavor to make her my wife, you know, like this is, this is my goal. So that opens episode three kind of opens up right, right with that, with this sort of marriage proposal scene, which was really a, just a sweet scene. Like, yeah. Her consideration of it. And even though she's not as witty or worldly, her recognition of it being a real proposal and needing a real time mm-hmm. to th- consider, like one would consider a real proposal, like yeah. just saw it hit Ann Lister like a ton of bricks. I just thought that was like such an incredible scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And while through the first two, we don't know exactly what Anne is planning or intending. And until that wedding scene, I don't think we could believe she's over Veer. Is that how you pronounce it? Veer Hobart. Um, Ms. Hobart, right? And so it's not really until this third that we start to see the dynamic of this relationship, courtship. Um, Yeah, they made made a point to show that she wasn't over it. Every bit of letter correspondence she got, right? She'd throw it at the wall or she'd have a big breakdown. Right. she really needed that experience that you said at the receiving line to flip the switch for her to move on. Yeah. Move on, she did. Yeah. Yeah. This episode moves that relationship, budding relationship, into the focus. And uh, I feel like, in a lot of ways, reveals things we know already and at the same time goes to some dark and deep places. It's a a pretty brutal in that though this was likely a pretty brutal time to be alive and to be uh, living in conditions as many people were in these times. Uh, this episode confronts us with some of those realities really bluntly. Absolutely. And and before we get to the sort of outer challenges um, that this episode brought up, I thought um, what was interesting about this third episode is that it really clearly defined Ann Lister's inner struggle and inner challenge. Um, and, she's, and she comes out and says it. Um, you know, nature played a challenging trick on me, didn't she? Putting a bold spirit of mine in this vessel. Yeah. So she is this, this just like articulates this reality that she was born in the wrong body. And I think if that doesn't relate to now more than anything, any other thing, there's just so many um, people who it's just such, such a, um, a wide topic that in our culture right now, it's just these you know, people, self-identity and um, people living, discovering who they are and not being defined by the outside body mm-hmm. they're in. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I dug that it really brought her inner struggle to the forefront and it was sort of bubbling for the first two episodes and then she really just expressed it to her aunt in that scene which was also very sweet and i love how for real and supportive you know her aunt her father sort of are Mm -hmm. sort of talk about the dad but they're they're just they're like they love her for who she is and they understand that she's different and she's going to go her own way and they're just like be careful don't get hurt yeah don't get yeah. Heartbroken. You know, that's what they're concerned about. Like they genuinely want her to be happy. Yeah. And they're not about what that's gonna look like, really, to the outside world, which is a refreshing perspective from you know, apparently figures at this time. Yeah, and a great reminder that in any time, regardless of the, you know, sort of dominating patriarchy or views or worldviews, there are people who um, truly love and understand anyone, uh, and especially those within their own family. And 
So yeah, seeing both of their understanding and acceptance of her through two and three is really beautiful. And it's really incredible to see what transpires in three um, through this episode two around we see, yeah, that quote you you know just mentioned and Anne's internal struggle. And then also we kind of see an, a bit of her own sort of fear around not only that, but image and how to do things. And by the, you know, more of the end of three, won't jump ahead too much, but she really gets emboldened by Ann Walker. And that's incredible to see that transition and transformation through three of both her expressing that and then seeing what's always this seemingly like really clear and strong uh, force from her become like hit her edge of like, yeah, I don't really know. And then be emboldened by Ann Walker. And that's incredible. So I think we see both her true actual inner turmoil and just struggle to be herself in this time. What a notion too, just like that a woman can't be bold. Yeah, and yet, yeah, exactly. Oh. And so the courage, the cur- her courage to be bold, and she says too in that scene, sometimes if you want to be happy, you have to risk getting hurt. Yeah. And the big thing for me taking away re-watching these episodes was what a hero and Lister is, like, and how inspired I am by her. And, like, that's what I was so compelled to, like, write these quotes down. Because for me, like, She's just so awesome. Like, I want to. I want to be like Ann Lister. I want to be that. It's not even sure of yourself. It's just like, this is who I am and who I'm going to put out, and who I'm going to put out in the world. And there is no one that can tell me I'm not who I am. I'm not allowed to be who I am or do what I want. Yeah. Super universal and and yeah and. Uh, and Ann Walker really kind of definitely finds a bit more of her independence and voice and as she's part of this courtship and the great camera device that we sort of referenced <laughs> in the second episode, the sister had a look and then this wonderful moment when they're hooking up at the top of this episode and uh, Ann Lister looks to the camera <laughs> and gets caught by Ann Walker. She's like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> that was so cool. Cause then it was like, all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, Oh, <laughs> are we going to get caught with this thing with the main character that the audience had? It was, it was a funny feeling. To really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, I think that playful element they add, um, you know, really adds to this courtship and we have, that feeling, right? Are we going to get caught? And then later we know that they're going to get caught, right? And so it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how they're able to include us in the emotions and story uh, together. A lot of emotion talk, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But you're the right. Show a lot really of things hits come along. Lo- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of things really come alive with the smaller characters in this episode as well, yeah. or the the supporting characters, um, and some really wonderful little downstairs moments and tenant moments. Um, yeah, which lead to a really amazing climax. But we should start first with uh, John <laughs> and um, his marriage proposal and his sort of so subplot. And there's something so charming about his bumblingness um and uh his marriage proposal and how that confounds Ann Lister <laughs> you know when she finally finds out that that happened and she's just like what like totally perplexed yeah you get the sense that her range of you know thoughts and emotions when he tells her is something like really 
Wait, how? You? Wait, yeah. what? No. You don't even speak for, you know, she's like, <laughs> it's such a range of, she's so confused. <laughs> Just like, no, wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the <laughs> subtle, uh, <laughs> the subtle humor in all of the uh, French translation scenes where mm. the, you know, cook and, and housemaid, former uh, lady's maid, um, is pseudo translating like she's speaking Franglish, and she's like, yeah. "It's so hilarious." And you get the sense that Eugenie must, uh, the lady's maid, must speak some English, and just doesn't want anyone to know because her French. The mm. I feel like her French is so bad that. But anyhow, she <laughs> those scenes where she's translating for the two of them are so endearing. Uh, really, of all of the Sorry. characters, it's funny. Um, yeah. e Especially because he he's he always asks for like three or four things to say extra that she <laughs> don't even. She's like barely gets the one thought across. <laughs> you don't know if she's even conveying what's meant to be conveyed, but you get the sense that Eugenie knows what's going on and like uh, yeah. has a good either intuition or secretly uh, uh, knowledge of their language more than they suspect but yeah those scenes are really great and it's nice that um you sort of have these like tender uh moments in love and then and this one is we have to get into uh these mm. darker moments and you know there's foreshadowing and foreboding in the whole coal thing there's a reason that yeah. shipton hasn't been mining coal for what 10 15 20 something like that a uh, couple decades maybe i think they referenced it at one point but for a while and it gets nasty really quick and um so all through three situation plays out with the unruly tenant where he shows up to work drunk gets sent home by ann and gets uh violent with his family and tied up in the pig pen. And this is yeah. as brutal as uh, you can really get. Yeah, really, uh, it speaks to so many to things. We talked about a lot about emotion, emotions, um, and the different emotions we've seen over the past few episodes, and, and brings all the way up to this sort of climactic period of time for this family who um young thomas is really trapped right by yeah um this abusive father and he's ruining everything he's going to destroy their lives yep. people are going to die he nearly killed his mother yep. he, you know like the the place in which he was it put the viewer i think in a really unique perspective because for me watching it, especially second time, I, I don't see the other option for him. Like, yeah, like, you know, he was almost say like his hands were tied. Like he had to murder his dad, but like the, they, they did just this incredible job of, he was just such a monster laying there in the mud tied to the chair. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. You know, like it was just this evil that had to go like, and yeah. And it was it was heartbreaking for this character that they introduced, such a good natured, kind, hardworking, uh, valiant and virtuous person who was just beginning his life. Yeah. So so to have to make that decision, and you know, it certainly adds a tremendous amount of conflict and intrigue and wow, what's going to happen next, and adds, um, they don't sell any part, any storyline short in this show. Yeah. The, te the tenants, the, the staff, or the help, like, everyone, everyone gets a good, realistic sort of lens, and, um, yeah, I feel bad for Thomas, but I don't, I don't, as a viewer, see what other option he had in that moment. Like right. 
that to me it was so weird it was like yeah he killed a you know his father was tied up and he killed him but it almost felt like an act of self-defense as well and that's um we'll obviously see how that the whole thing transpires but it was the act and then the covering up of the act was but a very murderous act you know yes one thing to kill someone in self-defense and then you handle it the proper way and you go tell someone that what happened you know the the way in which image of the pigs at the end and him like cleaning the knife like you don't he murdered his father (laughs) like that that's what happened and psychologically that's gonna change him like he 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 looked like a different character Uh, right and it's amazing to think how he could have been so virtuous and kind being raised by such a heinous man so Mm. maybe that uh never wanting to be like his dad was sort of latent and it like all comes out in that moment in a way. But as you also said, he doesn't have any other options realistically to save his family. And I think you feel that with him in that moment. And they set it up really well um, from the first episode uh, for you to just really hate this man. And uh, there's nothing redeeming to the end about this character and in my mind, when he takes, uh, you know, when he tries to swing whatever he's got, some like pole or something, when he hits his wife and then tries to swing at his wife and kids with something, I mean, he hits his wife, you yeah. know, at that point, but, uh, that whole scene, he was going to, he was, yeah, he was going to like cave her head in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she, big thing. Yeah, yeah, she was, she didn't get out of there. She was going to be probably dead if not severely severely injured so that scene is it you know that scene really in my mind just kind of sealed it and we see him defiant till the end there's maybe in those last couple visits a hope that he sobers up and is repentant Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's any realistic you know, signs or way that happens in this situation. So when we finally, yeah, get to the last scene, when the chair falls over, like, you know what's happening. You already know, right? He's got the knife in his hand. You already know. And it's so, he is not technically hogtied, but he's basically hogtied to a chair and gets slaughtered like a pig. And then fed to pigs. I mean, it's all so intense and very, yeah, it's very strong in every way. And um, I had to tell my girlfriend to look away because I knew the second that that he fell over, I was like, oh, baby, baby, just don't look. (laughs) She doesn't like to say stuff like that. Uh, And it's... Good looking out. It's visceral. And like you said, though, What's what's James gonna do? Like he, in my mind, uh, if there is another option, it requires so much, just uh, kind of doing and logistics to try to get out from underneath this man. And I think it brings up a really interesting point that we could talk about, which is not only the unfortunate and impossible position that Ann Lister is in and Ann Walker ultimately as well. But we get a a look at James and this family. And in another way, they're caught in this patriarchy and they are also stuck and sort of caught, uh, stuck up against a rock in a hard place or in between a rock and a hard place, because Ann Lister says, like, I need to talk to your dad, and I'll only deal with your dad. Like, he's the man of the house, the patriarch. So um, 
until James got out from under this abusive alcoholic dad, he would never have the power to actually even be the one like, you know, leasing the cart and officially having this agreement and relationship with Anne. So I thought that was really interesting too. And love to hear what you think about that. How like we see, cause we've talked about, you know, the different classes in interplay, but now we see that you could be a boy uh, in a working class family who's grown up under this abusive dad and also be caught and have no way other than ultimately to kill his dad. Yeah. Is that Oedipal, by the way? Killing your dad? I mean, he hasn't had sex with his mom yet, but (laughs) isn't that Oedipal, killing your dad? Yeah. I think it is. I mean, that was what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I think you, you, that was a tremendous point that you made, and it it makes me think, too, of the earlier part we talked about the uh, juxtaposition or the internal conflict of Ann Lister. Right, wanting to do what she wants to do, but then also conform, have, you know, falling into these um, societal uh, conform, conformations? Customs. Conformity. Conformities. Customs. Yeah, sure. Conformities, that's what I was going yeah. for. Yeah, if, if of her, right. like, class of the time, right? Exactly, yeah. We, we talked about it, the sort of landowner versus trade, but then this thing you're talking about, uh, who's the deal with... Whose, whose name is on the lease? That name has to be the man of the house. Mm-hmm. And his scene, him coming to her sort of in desperation in that moment saying, I'm a hard worker. Yeah. I can do this. Give, give, don't, don't put us out yeah. because of him. Give it to me and I can do right. it. And then her response being, sorry, that's not, that's not what we do here. Yeah. Like, she has yeah. no sympathy. Yeah. And yeah, it's one of the moments where uh, we see her sharper side really come out. And obviously the, it's a TV show and they're developing mm. our sympathy as viewers for James, it seems, right? So it, it, Sorry, and also the need to do something drastic at the end. Right. right? It's all building, it's building that, that. But Anne Lister in that moment is that hard wall that's, yeah, she's not going to deviate. And I think she ultimately is sort of forced. Her hand is forced in a way, right? She already mm-hmm. is navigating what she's navigating. And so maybe we cut her some slack in that moment, though it feels harsh a little bit. Yeah. Because she's like, no, I can't, are you kidding? I'm a woman in a man's world. I can't start to deal with the man's son I did a deal with. Like, I, it's not, you know, it's a deal with your dad. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's either him or it's some other dude who's going to do it right. Like, yeah, and it's really, it's tough. And it does lead, you know, or it's one of the many, many things that, that forces his hand and we don't have to spend too much more time. Uh, anyone who's watched along or seen the first season of the show understands what we're talking about, and you can go watch it. If you haven't, it's a very, very stark, brutal reality that we're faced with in that moment. And ultimately, though we do get the sense James has changed, and this is really... Uh, a dark moment in the overall story. Um, it's a very frank moment too, where we're confronted with the brutal realities of life in the early 19th century. Um, we, yeah. we, it's easy to forget that people's life expectancy and day-to-day realities was just a lot more brutal, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah, and being married the wrong man was like the worst thing that could happen yeah because everyone in that family was being abused right and he was like the only one capable of doing something yeah really save his family and it just yeah it's uh so many uh it's so interesting to just look uh, back at these times and 
um, that were just so different from our current ones, mm-hmm. from so many different perspectives, from a perspective of family just trying to make it, just trying to stay safe, to a woman of means and land, yeah. not having, being recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, just so interesting. And then, and then the piece ends with this moment that we kind of brought up, yeah, which was uh, Ann Walker's sort of response to, which was a great misdirect because he think amazing misdirect. Busted. Yeah, they get busted yeah. by. Uh, I believe they say in the first uh, what their relation is, but a relation of Ann Walker's, I think, cousins, and the couple who mm-hmm. initially was very admiring and very supportive of Ann Lister, but once they think she's after Ann Walker, tables turn a little, so they get caught canoodling by um, the woman. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, Yeah. and yeah, as you were saying, great misdirect, because of course, they set it up, we know they're going to get caught, Uh, it's it's harrowing, and uh, they sort of get caught, you know, they get caught, but um, nothing's too obvious, but she knows what's going on, and... um, yeah, through that whole, you know, scene of of the woman busting in and yelling at them. We're in shock, right? We're <gasps> and through the whole scene and she leaves before Ann Walker has this amazing moment. You want to <laughs> you want to take yeah, it from I there? Mean, what I think who <laughs> who really sells it is the, um this um Saran Jones, the actress that plays Ann Walker because she's like Oh my God, busted! Yeah, like she's she's like, how are how are we gonna? How am I gonna deal with this? Yeah. And you don't often see Ann Lister, and or you should say we haven't seen her really in that moment right. uh, beyond just being sort of heartbroken. But she's really like caught in not knowing what to do. Not and then and then um, Ann Walker just starts laughing <laughs> and is like. You want to go upstairs? And it's just like, yeah, let's keep hooking up. <laughs> and it was such a um, a great ending to this show because you just didn't you didn't see that coming. No. You didn't see him going upstairs. No, and uh yeah, and the the counterpoint of the really two love stories in this episode, we talked about the downstairs romance mm-hmm. and now the upstairs romance, and where they both go, um it's bomb for the the harsh, brutal side of this episode and really ends... Um, I think if they had reversed that ending, right, and, like, ending with the pigs, we wouldn't necessarily oh. know if we wanted to watch the next one, which is an important True. point, Steve, because we are talking about the end of episode three, and those... Oh, here we are. Yeah. I forgot to mention it at the top of the episode. This is a special episode of shows with friends that's right eli because he's never seen this show he gets to decide if we keep going now at the end of episode three right and what do we say eight episodes are in the first season i believe so something like eight and we just watched three and like i said it had ended with the pigs i don't know what would have happened steve but it didn't It ended with the laugh heard round Halifax. Oh, yeah, I just coined it. And because of that, I'm in. Yes. Let's keep on rolling, gentlemen, Jack. Oh, this is great. I'm so happy to keep watching this. And I honestly, because this show is so unique, I wasn't sure how this was going to go. And I was going to be pretty crushed if you were like, no, I'm good. But would have understood. Um, Well, I've been... I'm so glad. I've been on the emotional ride as we talked about, you know, a lot today. I think it's really great to point that out. That shows are not just acting, script, lighting, visual. Nothing wrong with all that. We Mm -hmm. love all that and praise all that, certainly. But to dig deeper into the emotions today of the show and not only in Lister's journey, which is obviously the focus and the... Um, the stuff we know is so true to what happened historically, which is so amazing. But to go on the emotional ride of the whole show and the way that they craft the journey, and we've talked about, too, that sort of first three episodes, right? The pilot, 
pilot that's got to grab you. And then those two and three really want to get people into that world and sympathetic. And I said, I think at the beginning of the recording today that at times in two, Anne Lister seems almost devious and she can be hard in her dealings and you just don't know exactly, right? She's still hung up on Veer and seems to be almost straddling two worlds. But by the end of three, we just see this amazing, amazing new transformation and hope for her dream and goal. Hope for a yes to her proposal. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in play now in this series. So I'm excited we're gonna keep going. And just wanna again continue to invite everyone. Yes. Keep watching with us. Yes. Please share with your friends, get some more friends to watch. <laughs> And watch next episodes four and five, and we'll see you right back here on Shows with Friends to continue Gentleman Jack. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's Connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.